welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Good morning. I've got this slide here just for those that wandered in and weren't sure where they are. Okay. This is uh, Grace Life in Ellenbrook, and we get to have lots of fun here. I love leprechauns. They come with rainbows and always pots of gold. And our little Irishman comes with the promise of God and lots of gold too. So we love him, don't we? Thank you, John. Um, Good morning. My name is Bobby, as you made up. I'm here to share with you what God has laid on my heart this morning. And I got asked a few weeks ago if I would be able to share it today. And I said to Scott, I said, Scott, is there anything on your heart that you really want shared for the congregation? Because we're not currently in a teaching series at this moment in time. We sometimes go through teaching series. At this moment, we're not. And he said, could you just share on the kingdom? It's a subject that's very close to my heart. I've been blessed over the last couple of weeks. I was sharing in Malaga last week. And um, I just got asked to share on my favorite subjects over two weeks. It's great. So we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is this thing that's this recurring theme right throughout the Bible. It's talked about, and early on, they talk about earthly kingdoms, and they talk about all these concepts, and they help everybody understand. And then we move into the New Testament, and Jesus preaches almost exclusively on the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, as it's described in the book of Matthew, because the book of Matthew was originally, as they're now beginning to uncover, probably delivered entirely to the Hebrew culture. And as a result, they don't use the name of God because they think it's too holy to even utter. So they talk about the kingdom of heaven. In the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a prayer that is prayed unanimously across the world in Christian churches. But do we really understand what it means when we talk about your kingdom come? Father God, Lord, we come before you as King of kings, Lord of lords. We praise you, Father. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus that this morning that you would bless us with revelation and insight. Father God, I pray that this morning as I share that which you have laid on my heart, that it would be your spirit that would communicate to your people. I pray that their ears would be open and their eyes would be awakened to see that which you have for them this morning. I praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
Forgive me. I'm going to take this jacket off because it's a bit warm up here. Do we understand what we're praying for when we talk about the kingdom? In Scotty's office, if you'll notice, as you go in, well, not as you go in, as you're coming out, there's a thin strip of paper just above the door. And on it, it says, Grace Life has an amazing and growing servant-hearted team of people who are committed to loving and leading. We very much appreciate every one of our incredible leaders who continue to sacrifice to help establish the kingdom. But what is this kingdom? When Jesus began to preach, and it's recorded in two places, Matthew 14, 17, and Mark 1, 15, it says in Matthew, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Mark 1, 15, he says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now, why is it important that we actually pay attention to what Jesus said first? Has anybody heard of this um, principle, what is called the primacy and recency effect? Whatever somebody says to you when they're sharing something with you, you're most likely to remember the first thing that's said and the last thing that's said. Okay, so ladies, if you've got a long dialogue, make sure the important stuff's up front or right at the end because we've got no clue what's going on in the middle, okay? But it's, it's a principle that comes across. Your tendency is to, that's why they talk about first impressions last. Yeah, your first impression makes an impact on you and it stays with you, okay? But there's also this concept that the last thing, now last week I was sharing a little bit on discipleship, which was one of the last things, if you remember the Great Commission, that Jesus shared on before he left the planet, yeah? Tonight we're talking, about, this morning we're talking about the kingdom. So, when I look at what Jesus did, what, how he lived, all the different things that went on, and I understand that Jesus knows all these concepts that we've come to learn about primacy and recency and all these things, Jesus started off talking about something that was really important. He carried on talking about the kingdom everywhere he went, but he started with something that was really important. And I reckon if it was important to Jesus important to me. So how do we define kingdom? Well, simply put, the definition of kingdom is that which is submitted to the rule and reign of the king. Now, in earthly sense, we always tend to make it about something physical, a piece of land, yeah? The United Kingdom, yeah, was when they brought together under James I, of England, who was James VI of Scotland, or as we called him, King Jimmy. Um, and he united for the first time Wales, England, and Scotland, and later brought in Northern Ireland. Yeah, all under. And in fact, that's why the, the, the flag of the United Kingdom has elements of the English flag, the Scottish flag, and it also has the Saltire St. Patrick from Northern Ireland. The Welsh didn't get a look in because theirs has got a massive dragon on it and it just looked weird, okay? Um, but it is about bringing together. Now, the kingdom that we're looking at, and if we go back to, because I know that you're all into biblical Greek, um, if we go and actually look at the Greek words that were originally in there, that word basilia, 
okay? And it talks about royalty. It talks about, as it says, abstractly about a rule or a realm which could be literal or figurative. So whilst we tend to think in terms of something that's physical, actually the Bible is referring to something that is conceptual as well. So for something to be under the rule of a king, it doesn't need to be physically under the rule or the domain of a king. It can be something that has chosen to submit to a king. Which begins to shift it because the Bible is telling about us about this is, this is about who has submitted to the king. Interestingly, this morning we've already been singing, I surrender all. In Matthew 7, 21 and 23, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, quite interestingly, and this is, this is a difficult verse for people who believe they're following Jesus, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in, the name of, in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, I don't know about you, I, was, I shared a little bit of my testimony last week in Malaga. But when I was first brought to the revelation and realization that Jesus Christ was real, I was taught about him as my savior. So I was taught about him as someone who was on the cross and helped me cross out of sin into a new life. Yeah? But I was never really taught that he needed to be my Lord and my King. That actually stepping into this new life also meant submission to something that was far greater, something far beyond my natural self, my own understanding. See, we can glorify the name of Jesus all we want. We can shout it from the rooftops. But if we're not actually in a process of submitting our lives bit by bit to everything that he commands, then we're in danger of him saying, I never knew you. Now, it's interesting because I don't know if you ever get the joy of ministering and things like that, but God doesn't actually ever allow me to minister without taking me physically through it. And so as I prepare, God's highlighting all these different things, and I'm, I'm blessed to be surrounded and have, through God's choosing, surrounded myself with people who help me see the areas where I haven't got them fully submitted to God, Right? And I'm blessed that I've got those people around me because they help me go, that's out of order. I need to start putting those things back in place. And if you haven't got people in your life like that, you need to get them. Because we, we all have blind spots, right? It doesn't matter how wonderful you are, how great you think your view of yourself is. You've got blind spots about things that are really going on. That's why God gave us spouses, okay? to help us see some of those blind spots so that we can actually be better prepared to move into the spaces in a holy and healthy way. But God has also granted me lots of other Christian people who 
help me see things that I've not properly seen or I've been too busy looking at other things to pay attention for and I'm blessed to be in this place. But I'm not perfect, so I'm still working on it. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now that seems, seems reasonable, it seems fair. But Jesus never asked us to do anything that he wasn't prepared to do himself. See, when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, he did it. He's not suggesting for a second that he's a leader that's standing back going, I want you to do this, 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 and this. Tell me how it goes. He's a leader who stepped forward and did everything that he calls us to do and then said, look, I'm going to need you to do some of these things too. You're not all going to have to do all these things. That's why I came, so you don't have to. But you may be asked from time to time to do some of the things that I've had to do. John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus did many miracles. He engaged with people. He went to places. He traveled. Even when he delayed to go and see Lazarus, he was doing exactly what the Father told him to do. Now, we, we sit there going, oh, Jesus was wandering around, and Jesus, Jesus spent hours in prayer making sure he was in tune with the will of the Father. So when he asks us to step into his kingdom, to do the things that he's commanding, to submit to his will in these different things, he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't done. He lived a life fully submitted to the point where we saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane in agony, sweating blood because of his fear of what was coming next, his complete understanding of what he was going to about to go through. And he said, but not my will, yours. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to run out and get beaten and whipped and stuck on a cross. Christ went to the cross so that we don't have to go through that. But the things that we have to submit and surrender to for each of us, there'll be a challenge. If there is no challenge, there is no real sacrifice, but that's what it means to step in. As I said, when Jesus began to preach, he re- preached, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I want to actually begin to highlight another part in that verse that Jesus says, because it constantly resonates with me. And it's the definition of this element that says, come near. Egizio, to make near, that is reflectively approach, to be at hand, come, draw near, to be nigh. It's interesting, the, in the new, in, um, as he says, the Northern Ireland version, as the new international version, it says, come near. In a lot of the other English translations, it says, is at hand. Okay? And I actually, when I was doing my research and looking and drawing into this, I found that actually the English translations of is at hand seemed to resonate a little bit more. And there were three that stood out to me. The first, it's close by. 
Yeah, if something's at hand, we tend to think it's within reach. Yeah? It's just around where you can get to. It's readily accessible when needed. And thirdly, that it's close in time and about to happen. So frequently when we think of the kingdom of God, we think about these concepts. We think about the kingdom of God as being something far removed. We even use in the English language the term till kingdom come, which, lit, which kind of translates into forever or until the end of time. Yeah? That's a phrase that we use because we talk about kingdom and the concept around it is it's out of touch. And I believe this actually pertains to the fact that a lot of us have grown up with cultures, and we see this in other cultures around, where the concept of God is one that is far removed, that is distant, that is unengaged, that is not close to us. But this is not the God we worship. We worship a God who actually made so much effort so much effort to lean in to pull us out of where we are. There's not some distant, removed God that's given us a tick list and says, once you tick the list, come and give me a call. We worship a God who built his own tick list for himself to accomplish so that he could draw us into where we need to be. This concept that we've got to get around this concept because it's, when we always think of the kingdom of God as being something that's far away, when we don't realize that it's something that's near, that's around, that's actually physically, spiritually, and in every way, just a step away, it changes our entire paradigm of how we engage with the Bible because these things are not something that they're a one day. You know, we can talk about one day, one day, one day, till kingdom come. Yeah? Kingdom's here. We don't need to wait till kingdom come because Jesus already came and he said it's right here at hand. It's near. It's like that. In Matthew 12, 22 to 28, it says... Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Hiya. You'll have to wait your turn. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Carries on. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided amongst it, against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But... If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Not will, not might, has. If we come to the revelation that Jesus is actually working with the power and the Spirit of the Almighty God, we are already 
in a place where the kingdom has come upon us. See, the enemy wants us to think that it's not there yet, that we can't experience it, that we can't engage with it, that it's something that's far removed. But Jesus himself said, and this is before, this is before Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. He said, if you're already understanding that what I do is by the Spirit of God, then you're already in the kingdom because you've got the revelation, the understanding, you're already moving in a space. And if you remember, if you're stuck in a worldly space and you're in the confines of all this stuff, you can't see. Yeah, the Bible talks about those scales on the eyes of those people that are stuck in that place. But when we cross over, when we get Jesus to lift us from the cross into this new space, when your understanding and your concept is, wow, this is God at work, then you're already in the kingdom. You've already entered. You've already become part of what is going on. I'm very firmly, the more I read the Bible, the more I go on, I'm absolutely convinced that there are only two systems that exist in this world today. There are only two systems. Okay? On one hand, we have the world. Okay? All of the worldly systems, all the things that we deem to call secular. I don't like that word, and I'll explain in a minute. And then we have the systems of the kingdom. Okay? And we have this dichotomy that exists side by side, together, all at the same time. Bless you. The world is ruled by principalities and powers. Yeah? We've all read Genesis. We know that we fumbled the ball almost as soon as we got it as a human race, and the devil took possession. Okay? However, the kingdom is ruled by our Heavenly Father through Jesus and the Spirit immediately on earth right now. Yeah? We know because the cross is done. The cross has occurred. The world is all about killing, stealing, and destroying, and the kingdom is about bringing abundant life. Yeah? The world is there to create orphans, whilst in the kingdom we're here to create sons. We are all sons of God. Are you coming up to preach? Am I not doing a good enough job? The world is there to steal your birthright. Bye-bye. Got, got to be careful with the kid because I was, um, I w we were doing a thing called Pray Together WA on Sunshine FM a couple of weeks ago, and it was being simultaneously broadcast live on Facebook and the internet, and Nad and Hope were sitting watching it at home. And of course, she can see Daddy on the screen, and she's used to FaceTime and just chatting away and all this kind of stuff, the new age technology, and she's talking to me. But of course, she can't compute that Daddy's on the other end, and while she can see Daddy and he's talking and he she can hear his voice, he cannot hear her. And so she was getting quite irate, so I got these messages from now that my daughter was quite upset with me. And then last week in Malaga, she comes out of the row, stands in the middle, and starts waving, hi, Dad. So, yes. I had to make sure that she knew I was there. The world is about stealing birthright. It's about stealing from us that which God has given to us. Yeah? But the kingdom is all about releasing us into the destiny and purpose for which we were made for. One, uh, Colossians 1.16 says that everything that has been made has been made by him and for his purposes. Everything. And that includes everyone. 
The devil doesn't want you to embrace that. He wants to steal it from you. We hear right as you read through the old stories, we continually hear of stories where people's birthrights are being stolen from them. But that's not the kingdom dynamic. The world is about stealing from future generations. Just look at all the systems of the world and what they're doing today. Yeah, they're trying to figure out how to mask problems rather than confess that they're really there, and all they're doing is stealing from the future generations. They're building tax bills that future generations are going to have to pay off. There's constantly this stealing and the greed and corruption that exists across the world that's all about what's good for me now, who cares about what comes next? Yeah? But the kingdom is about blessing future generations. The Bible in its talks about a system which is about seeing the next generation prosper far more than the one that currently exists. It's about pouring into the next generation so that they're better off, they're stronger, they're wealthier. Do you know in the Jewish system, um, when you get married, you are given a house. Yeah, you know the Bible talks about um, my father goes to prepare a house for you. That's because we're the bride and we're getting married, okay? So in Jewish culture, the interesting thing is in the Jewish culture, they didn't know when their wedding day was. Their wedding day depended on the day that the house got finished for them, right? So they couldn't know exactly. That's why Jesus doesn't know when, the, when it was coming. He wasn't lying. He wasn't just going, ah, oh, look, I'm not sure, but we're just not going to tell you. He didn't know when the house was going to be prepared, yeah, they were gifted because they didn't want to see their children, according to the worldly systems that we have today, we all step into a, eternal death, mortgage, yeah, debt until death, right, is almost literally what it means. The, the Jewish system is about releasing them with blessings so that, hang on a second, I'm going to set you up so that you're getting set up to bless the next generation. It's a completely different system. The world is about destroying families. There's been movement after movement after movement in the world at the moment, and all of them are about destroying families. All of them. We've seen it. They want to destroy marriage. They want to destroy the ability to have good homes for families and children. Even the current movement of Black Lives Matters. I mean, we all agree that racism is wrong. But if you look down the list of what they believe, the destruction of the nuclear family is one of their prominent standing points. The devil is getting in, and the devil is pretending that it's doing something in the light. Yes, yeah, standing for racism is fantastic. We need to do that. But when you do it as a way of masking, we're going to destroy families at the same time, that's when it becomes a worldly system that's more about destruction than it is about life. Yeah? The kingdom is about growing families, to see them prosper, to see them grow. And the Bible repeatedly talks about blessing flowing from generation to generation to generation, that you will see your children's children. It's about growing families. It's about bonding families together. We, as a body, are called the family of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are together as family. Ultimately, the world is anti-Christ. We see that everywhere you go. We see that every major opponent of Christianity gets labeled a culture, and as soon as it's labeled a culture by UN law, 
to actually tear it down is considered genocide. Did you know that? Right? That's why evangelizing Islam is considered genocide. Right? The kingdom and everything in the kingdom moves people towards Christ. It draws them into life and life abundant. It draws them into this generosity of spirit, this blessing. The kingdom is all about how do we come into a better place with the king. This happens everywhere. We see it all over the place. Agricultural. We have an agricultural system that is based on poisoning the land. Right? That's, that's the modern agricultural system is based on using different sets of chemicals to continually, systematically poison the land. And year by year, it fakes a good harvest so that next year it's harder and they need more poison to get a harvest. Whereas the biblical systems, and I have friends who are running farms by these systems, and they're right next door to the other systems, they're not using the chemicals. They're not using those techniques. They're using the blessing of God and the things that are taught in the Old Testament, and they're seeing crops that are 10% at least bigger than every crop around them. And I'm talking about crops that are the other side of a fence. Yeah? We see the prosperity. In finance, We've got systems like the lottery and all these different things that are going on, kidding people that they're blessing. It's the counterfeit of blessing. But you can actually easily research anywhere the number of people who won the lottery and it destroyed their lives. Yeah? God wants to bring blessing and he wants us to be prosperous as a group. There are some people who can't handle financial prosperity. Okay? That's true. And for those people, God would rather keep them poor that they can make it into the kingdom. But he doesn't want us to be poor. Does that make sense? I'm not going into the prosperity gospel or any of that rubbish. But God doesn't want us to be in that situation. He wants us to thrive. And part of that thriving is not so that we can sit around in Ferraris and big mansions, but because it takes money to feed the poor, to clothe, to provide homes, to do all these things. And God knows that. Our prosperity is not for our own benefit. It's for the growth of the kingdom. In business, we watch companies come along and suck up and buy small companies and just devour them and make people run under all these different types of things. Whereas the kingdom system says, actually, we need lots and lots of companies working together, blessing one another, beginning to build an, an economy. Did you know that in this country and almost every country around the world, the majority of businesses that prop up the economy are not the big ones that, ever, that try and create all the influence. It's actually the small businesses that prop up the economy. The big businesses are constantly trying to figure out how much tax they can evade. Yeah, There are more people employed through small business than any of the large businesses. And so why do I say that? Because we get a choice. Our participation in the kingdom today is a choice. I could go into medicine, law, government. There are so many different systems, okay? And we think they're trying to do the right thing, but they're embedded in a system which means that actually they're going to create destruction. Our democratic system sounds brilliant on the surface of it, but we've got a bunch of people who are in short-term roles trying to manage a long-term system and just by the nature of those roles, spend a large chunk of those roles just trying to get re-employed, okay? 
It's, it, it, it's, it's the reality of the world we live in. The kingdom is a theocracy. There is one king who wants to bless us into eternity, who doesn't care if you don't vote for him, because if you don't vote for him, you're not in the kingdom anyway. The verse, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I ask God, what verse should I live by? What's the verse? If there's one verse I've got to live by, what is it? And he told me it was this one. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of the other things be given to you. He's just been talking through, if you remember, this is again part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's just been talking through the fact that there's all these people and they're chasing after stuff. He could be talking today about what we see around us. Wouldn't it be great if the queues for church were longer than the queues for the Apple store for when the new iPhone comes out? Yeah? Let's, let's be serious. The, the systems of the world have people queuing up for things that are physical and will be obsolete in six months. Okay? That's, that's true. It's absolutely true. Yet here we are, helping people engage with something that is eternal, and we've got empty seats. That's the world we live in. Seek first. The Greek word here is proton. It's not just first in time. It's first in place, in order, importance, before all others. So in every situation, we get a choice. Every situation, every day we get a choice, and we can choose the systems of the world, or we can choose the systems of the kingdom, and we can opt. And the fact is, every one of us, we're still here, so we're not that saintly, okay? We've still got work to be done, or we wouldn't still be here. The fact is, most of us have areas where we're firmly in the kingdom, and then we've got other areas where we're so bogged down and we're still working by worldly systems and we don't even realize it. Yeah, we've got systems that the world tries to drag us in. And you can tell the worldly systems because they're the ones that get a hold of you. And they draw you in and they tempt you to do something and then you do it and then you think, right, okay. And before you know it, they snowball and they snowball and they make you feel locked down and stuck in a system that you cannot escape. But the systems of the kingdom are about freedom. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And the Son can set you free from every one of those systems. It's not always an overnight fix. Yes, sometimes it takes time for us to actually begin to recognize. When it comes to things like financial debt, when we begin to see it for what it is, that it's something that the devil wants to use to take us into bondage and take us to a place where he locks us up and can control us, then we have to turn our eyes on it and start to think, right, okay, how do I move in this direction? How do I move? You see, we've got to seek first. We've got to stop prioritizing that which is temporal, that which is just about this world or this fixation that is just about the now. And we've got to start living according to the eternal. What is it that you see every day that has an eternal impact? What about the people that you meet every day? 
You know, this whole concept of people not being sure is why evangelism doesn't really happen. Do you know that? Because when we get to the point that we could introduce somebody to Jesus and share with them the love that we've got in our hearts as a result of the wonderful blessings we've received, we go, but, but what if they say no? What, what if they turn around and what if they make fun of me or we get stuck in the temporal? When we're supposed to be released into the eternal to think about what matters most, who cares? Yeah? Whom will you serve? Joshua 24, 14 and 15 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choice is yours. It's absolutely yours every day and in every way in every situation. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the devil in building up and enforcing, pouring out hatred and all these different things that come out? Are you going to pour out judgment? Are you going to pour out these things? Or are we going to pour out something that's more eternal? Because we're supposed to be rivers of living water. We're supposed to have been flooded and poured into to the point where we're drowning in the Almighty's living water and we're pouring that out into those that come. Yeah? That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in an eternal kingdom, in a constant state. Choose this day whom you will serve. There's something you need to recognize, and this is really, really serious. Today, participation in the kingdom, right now at this point in the history, participation in the kingdom is optional. There'll come a day where it won't be. There'll come a day where the choice will be made for you. And it will be based on the choice you make today. There's going to come a time where the kingdom's coming, whether you like it or not. At the moment, there's two systems. There won't always be. There's going to come a time where that system is going to get totally bundled up. It's going to get screwed up. And it's not just getting thrown in the bin. It's going straight in the furnace. Choose this day whom you will serve. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com dot au